open up our hearts to you, and uh, we want to make sure our cell phones are off and um, that we come in perhaps tired after this, you know, part of the week or today, a long day. Maybe some of us haven't even, even had dinner yet. And, uh, but we want to feast upon your word, and we want to glean from it. So bless this time. Uh, help us be attentive. And um, we ask that you bless the children in the junior high and the high schoolers as they're being taught the word of God. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. So in chapter 5, as we opened it up and, and began to look at this story, here is Naaman. He's a commander, a general of the Syrian army. And we are told in verse 1 that he was an honorable man to, uh, in the eyes of his master. Uh, he was one that was just uh, a blessing to his nation. He was a blessing to his boss. He was one that also, that the scripture tells us, that he was a mighty man of valor. And that is a title that's pretty unique because it's a title that's given, as we look at the Old Testament, to men such as Gideon. You know the story of Gideon? How Gideon and his 300 men would defeat 135,000 of the Midianites there in the book of Judges. It's a title that's given also to um, David uh, in um, 2 Samuel, David, the greatest king that Israel ever had. So here is a guy that, as we covered the first 19 verses, we saw that Naaman really is a picture, is an illustration of the state uh, that all of us are in spiritually. And that is, here is Naaman, a blessing to his nation. He's a great man of valor. Uh, he's just an overall great guy, but there's a problem. He's a leper. And he has leprosy. And of course, leprosy back in the ancient days uh, was very contagious. And uh, there was no cure. There's still no cure today for it. And it, it is uh, still in some parts of the world that there is leprosy. But um, it was something that uh, would eventually begin to eat away at you and you would eventually die from that disease. And he has it. It's very serious. And we know that Naaman, he would hear from the captive, uh, this captive girl that was serving his wife in his house because Syria had been making these raids there um, in Israel. And they bring this girl back to serve in his household. And she said, if only you knew of the prophet Elijah, then you would be healed. And so Naaman, what he does is he sends a letter, uh, the king of Syria does, to the king of Israel saying that I'm sending Naaman for you guys to heal. And the king of Israel, first of all, he's upset about it. He's thinking that the king of Syria is just wanting to start a quarrel and a fight. But here are these two guys that, you know, are Gentiles from this pagan nation that really had more faith than the king of Israel. But Naaman comes down, he has all this gold and silver and, and change of clothes to give to Elijah. He comes to Elijah's house. Elijah sends his servant out, says that, Naaman, what you are to do is you are to dip in the Jordan River seven times. And Naaman at first was very upset because Elijah himself did not come out. It was Naaman that, that thought that Elijah would come out and greet him. I mean, he is a man of prestige. He was a man of importance. And he felt insulted. And he's thinking that Elijah is going to come and greet him and wave his hand over him. And he's going to be healed. And that's going to be the end of it. I got all this stuff to pay you off for this healing. But Naaman was one that he was humbled. And his servant said, why don't you just do this? Why don't you just dip yourself seven times in the Jordan River? Don't be angry. Don't be upset. But do this thing, and that's what Naaman did. He humbled himself, and he was cleansed of his leprosy. And as I mentioned, it's a, a powerful picture of our state spiritually 
that all of us, that we've been affected by leprosy. That is, leprosy in the Old Testament is a picture of sin. And it is something that affects all of us and will bring death, that is spiritual death. And the only way that we can receive any kind of cleansing is when we humble ourselves and we are cleansed just as we sang tonight by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's when we live. And that's what Naaman shows a picture of that. And salvation is free. And as we left off, here was Naaman. He was wanting to pay off Elijah. And Elijah says, no, I am not going to take the money. And we know that salvation is a free gift, the scripture says. You can't earn it. You can't purchase it. Jesus purchased that our salvation for us on Calvary's cross. And so we come as we humble ourselves. It's a free gift as we come in faith and trust and surrender our hearts to Jesus Christ. So that's the story of Naaman where we left off at verse 19. So that's not the end of the story. Let's pick it up at verse 20 as there's more to this story. But Gehazi, the servant of Elijah, the man of God said, look, my master has spared Naaman, the Syrian, while not receiving from his hands what he brought, but as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. So Gehazi, we've seen him. He's the servant of Elijah, and he's thinking, Elijah, he doesn't want any of the goods, the gold, the silver, the, the change of clothes, so I might as well take advantage of it. And what we're going to see in this section is we see the greed of Gehazi. He becomes very greedy. He wants to take advantage of the situation, so what does he do? Well, verse 21, Gehazi pursued Naaman. When Naaman saw him running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me, saying, Indeed, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets had come to me from the mountains of Ephraim, and please give them a talent of silver and two changes of garments. So here is Gehazi. He runs down. Naaman. Naaman gets off his chariot. He's thinking something's wrong. It's all well. Well, these two guys, as he is lying, came from the mountains of Ephraim, and they need some help. And so Naaman, he's more than ready to help, as he said, uh, please take two talents in verse 23. And he urged them and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garments and handed them to two of his servants, and they carried them ahead of him. So he gives these, these two talents of silver it had to be a lot of silver because he has to have two servants help carry these two bags of silver. In verse 24, when he came to the citadel, he took them from their hand and stored them away in the house. And then he let the men go and they departed. Now he went in and stood before his master Elijah, said to him, Where did you go, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant did not go anywhere. And then he said to him, Did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to receive money and receive clothing, olive gro groves and vineyards and sheep and oxen and male and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence, leprous as white as snow. So in this greediness of Gehazi, I think there's a couple real important applications that we can make for us. And we see the downfall of greediness. And one of the things that we've noticed that really, uh, as we've noticed with Elijah, that, that made him a man, 
very effective in his ministry to the Lord and used powerfully of the Lord is he was a man that was very content. He was one that he wanted to glorify God. He wanted to do the work of God, make sure that God got the glory, but he never took advantage of the situation. He's working miracles here, and he's working powerful miracles here, but he was one that was very content. And we see that Gehazi, though, he's thinking, man, this is an opportunity to take advantage of the situation. If Elijah doesn't want to take advantage of it, then I'm going to. But in his greed, there's a couple things that we see here. Number one, if there is greediness that is part of our lives, if we become greedy in any way, it will lead to deception. And that's what Gehazi does. He comes and he lies. He says to Naaman, hey, the couple men came, they need some help, and he's lying to Naaman. And then he takes the silver and he hides it away from Elijah. And, and then Elijah calls him on the carpet and he lies to Elijah. And that's what greediness will do. If you become greedy and you want possessions and that's a priority, it can lead to a man or a woman becoming very deceptive and hiding and lying. And we see that case happen in people's lives, don't we? This reminds me so much of Achan in the book of Joshua. You recall that in the book of Joshua, when the children of Israel came into the promised land, that it was Jericho that was going to be their first battle. And they would battle against Jericho. Actually, the Lord, they didn't do anything. They just marched around the city, and the walls came crumbling down as they gave a great shout. And the Lord gave them a great victory against this, this fortified city of Jericho. You know the story. And it was the Lord that told the children of Israel that when I give you the victory, that the first fruits go to me, the gold and the silver. So make sure that they go to me, and then make sure that you don't take any of the accursed things. So they have great victory against Jericho. When you move into chapter 7 of the book of Judge, uh, Joshua, what you see is Joshua takes some of his men, about 3,000 of them, and he sends them on to the next battle, to Ai. Ai in the Hebrew means little. It's a little place. Shouldn't be any big deal. Go up there and mop it up and wipe them out, and we'll be done with it. But as they went up to Ai, all of a sudden, the children of Israel were defeated, and they were running for their lives. And Joshua heard about that, and he began to cry out to the Lord, Lord, why did you bring us into the promised land, just to be killed by the Canaanites? And it was the Lord that said, this is my paraphrase and my you know, explanation or, or um, my interpretation, and that is, Joshua, knock it off, all right? Quit your belly aching. There's sin in the camp. You need to deal with it. And so that's what Joshua did. And Joshua called out the 12 tribes, and he singled the tribe, and he singled the family, and then he singled one guy named Achan. And Achan, he confessed, and what he had done in his greediness is he had stolen a Babylonian garment, and he stole some gold and some silver, and what he did is he hid it away. One of the things that we see here is when there is greediness and dishonesty, you begin to hide things, you begin to lie. I don't understand. I mean, think of the logic of this. If it is so good and so beneficial, why do you have to hide it? You know, Gehazi, why do you have to hide it? And here is Elijah saying, you're going to hide it? 
What are you going to do? You're going to buy some oxen and sheep. You're going to go out and buy vineyards. You're going to take advantage. You, don't you think that, that people are going to notice? Don't you think that they're going to be able to know that you gained this dishonestly or something's up? And it was the same with Achan. I mean, he stole the Babylonian garment. Think about it. It wasn't like he can go wear this Babylonian garment amongst the you know, children of Israel. Because people would be saying, hey, where'd you get that, that Babylonian garment? You know, kind of like, uh, well, you know, mail order, I don't know. But he couldn't wear it. I mean, think of the stupidity of it. But he was greedy. He wanted it. He saw it, the lust of the eyes, as we've talked about in John, First John, in our lessons that will lead us to sin. And he was one that stole it, gold and silver, and he hid it. He hid it away. He couldn't even enjoy it. Just as it was Gehazi, I couldn't even enjoy it. And he ended up being stoned, Achan did. And Gehazi, here he is, hit with leprosy. And so he is hit with this disease as judgment came upon him. And here's the thing. Not only does greediness lead to, to deception, but it leads to death as well. And as Christians, what we are told that we are to be is content. Paul said in the New Testament, learn to be content. And I know that you've heard me say this before, but I think it's a real important character in our lives and, and a part of our lives that, Lord, wherever you have me, whatever state that I am in, that I want to learn to be content. Because what happens is, is we can just kind of buy into society that you need to have more and more is better and that's what's going to fulfill you and that's what's going to bring satisfaction to your life. And the one thing that will bring lasting satisfaction and fulfillment and joy and peace and true happiness in your life is an intimate relationship and fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. When you are just living for Him and you live with a heart of gratitude that Jesus, He is my Lord and I am blessed because I am forgiven. I've been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ and I am cleansed and we have an inheritance of heaven. Why would you want to trade the things of the world, you know, and, and let that affect the way that you live now when you have the inheritance of heaven that is going to belong to you? Nothing in this world should get in the way of us prioritizing the things of God and to live for the kingdom of God. So it led to deception, and it's going to eventually lead to death because, as I said, leprosy was something that uh, was a deadly disease, and it will lead to death in our lives, just a death in our souls and our hearts if greediness takes over our lives. And so chapter 6, And the sons of the prophets said to Elijah, See now that the place where we dwell with you is too small for us, and please let us go to the Jordan and let every man take a beam from there and let us make there a place where we may dwell. And so he answered, Go. And then one said, Please consent and go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. And he went with them, and when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe had fell into the water, and he cried out and said, Alas, master, for he was borrowed. And so the man of God said, Where did it fall? And he showed him the place. So he cut off a stick and threw it in there, and he made the iron float. And therefore he said, Pick it up for yourself. So he reached out his hand, and he took it. So here the sons of the prophet, as you recall, that at the end of chapter 4, there's about 100 of them. Uh, this ministry is growing. They need more room. So Elijah is saying, and, and the sons of the prophets, we're going to go to the Jordan. Uh, they said, Elijah, come with us. He said, I'm going to come. 
and they begin to chop down trees so they can take it back and they can be building a bigger facility for them to house the sons of the prophet. God is blessing at this time. Um, he is one that uh, is uh, providing. And so as they're doing this, one of the guys, he's got an axe and he's chopping on a tree. And you know, any of you guys that use an axe, when I was in, uh, you know, a young guy after college living in Colorado Springs, actually in Black Forest, I lived uh, on 20 acres in Black Forest in a little cabin. And I used to cut a lot of wood for a widow lady and uh, just cords and cords of wood. And so my friends would come over and we split wood. We did it all by hand. And, and you had to be careful because over time that axe head would come off. And as we were doing that, we'd be careful and always putting it on because if it came flying off, it would be very dangerous. So this is what happens. This guy, he is cutting this tree down. The axe head comes off. It falls into the water. He cries out, alas, master, it is borrowed. And so Elijah takes a stick. He throws it into the Jordan River there into the water. And all of a sudden, the axe head comes floating up. And he says, you go and get it. And again, as we see that miracles are working through Elijah, that we can look at this and we can make uh, some very interesting observations and application for us here tonight. And it's simply this, that here is a ministry that is growing. And all of a sudden, as it is growing, here's a guy that he loses the cutting edge. He loses his sharpness doesn't he? He becomes dull. And I'll tell you the truth on this, that you individually and we as a church corporately, that as we are growing, and I, it's such a tremendous blessing, the greatest blessing for me, the pastor of this church, is to see people growing in the Word of God and your love for Jesus Christ. And, and to see that as more people are coming, as they're hungry for the Word of God, and the church is growing, one thing can happen, that over time, you can begin to lose your sharpness. You can become dull. And, and I don't want that to happen to you. I don't want it to happen to me. I don't want it to happen to this church. And one of the ways that we can keep the sharpness, the cutting edge, one of the ways that, that we can keep from being dull is to continue in the Word of God, but also to remember, just as we are seeing in John's epistle, that you continue in the light and you continue to walk in love. And I think that's a real important thing. You know, one of the things that, that I pray for us as a church as we continue to grow, I know that God's going to provide for us. I know that, that where God guides, He will provide. And what He has for us in the coming weeks and coming months, I don't know. You know what? We're going to take it one day at a time, and we're going to pray. But when you see in between the services, it's so packed out. It's a tremendous blessing. And, and so we're going to let the Lord provide. But more than anything, what I'm concerned about is that we don't become dull. And what I mean by that is as the ministry grows, what can happen is we begin to focus on numbers. We begin to focus on, you know, programs and different ministries. And we begin to become dull in our love for Jesus Christ. And what I hope and pray for us is that as people come here, that they would see the love of Jesus that is evident in this place, that is flowing from us, just as we talked about on Sunday, that the love of God is being perfected in us and through us, and that people would say, wow, more than anything, this is a group of people that love the Word of God, but more than anything, that they love God, and then I can sense the love of God being manifested and shown to me as we come here. And we don't want to lose that. 
It was the church of Ephesus, you know this, don't you? If, uh, Revelation chapter 2, that they were a growing church. They were a church that there was a lot of works that were going on because Jesus said, I know your works. Um, I know that you stand for truth. I know that you point out those who are false. I know that you labor, your patience, all these things that were good things. And I think about the church of Ephesus, this big church, you know, and all kinds of ministries taking places and, and things are happening and Bible studies are taking place and, and outreach and all these other things. But then Jesus said something to them that I pray that we never forget, and that was, he said that one thing I have against you is you've left your first love, and you need to go back and get it, is what he said to them. You need to remember, you need to repent, and you need to return. And then the fourth R is you need to remain there. And we need to be ones that we make sure that we don't leave our first love just because it's a happening thing, just because, you know, more people are coming, just because more ministry is available, that everything that we do is because the Lord is leading us and everything that we do here and everything that you do in your life personally is because you have a love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't lose the dullness. Don't lose the dullness. That there would be excitement that every time that we come in, because how good God has been to us. And we can be thankful. And Lord, oh, you are wonderful. And that we would just continue to grow in our love for him and our love for each other. And that's the success of a church and of any Christian, any Christian family. All right? So here he says, you go and get this, and they get it. But then the story continues as after that we read in verse 8, Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with the servants, saying, My camp will be in such a such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware, for you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. And um, verse 10, Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place, which the man of God had told him, and thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. And therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. So what we see here is Syria is continuing to make war with Israel. And the king of Syria, he is sending these raids, these ambushes, these attacks against Israel. And every time that he sets up this ambush, Elijah knows about it. And he informs the king of Israel. So they send somebody to go and watch. And the watchman comes back and he says, yep, the enemy's there. The enemy is there. You know, uh, he's going to ambush. He's going to come against us. And I see a lesson in that right there. And that is that we are to be watchful, aren't we? We are watchmen on the wall is what Ezekiel likens us to be. We're to be watching. It's amazing uh, in the New Testament how many times we're told to be watchful and be sober and to be vigilant. Don't go to sleep, folks. Don't go to sleep spiritually. And we're to be watchful. You're to be watching for two reasons. Number one, because the enemy, he's lurking. He's looking to ambush you. He's looking to come against you, your family, against your marriage, against your kids, against your ministry. He's looking to come against this church. Do you know that the enemy, he doesn't like what's happening here at Calvary Chapel. He doesn't like that we're having services every week and going through the Word of God and the radio program and that people are getting saved and coming to Jesus Christ. Ministry is taking place. 
He hates that. So he is looking to ambush. He's looking, and we need to be watchful. We need to be wise, sober, and vigilant. We need to be not ignorant of Satan's devices and be prayerful, and we need to be supportive, and we need to be seeking God. Submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So that's number one, what we watch for. But second of all, we need to be watchful because the Lord is coming back. And I think that he's coming back at any time for us, that we're getting ever so closer to the return of the Lord. So don't go to sleep spiritually. You keep watching. You keep serving. You occupy till he comes. Be the wise and faithful servant that's looking for the master's return. So here is these guys that, um, that they're watching and, and saying that, hey, you know what? Uh, this is true, what Elijah is saying. So the king of Syria in verse 11 is troubled by this. So he says to his servants, will you not show me which one of us is for the king of Israel? And one of the servants said, none, my lord, O king, but Elijah the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So there isn't a spy amongst us, there isn't a traitor, but it's that Elijah, the prophet of God, and he will tell you what you speak in your own private bedroom. We can't hide anything from God, can we? And you see, we learned that from Gehazi, he tried to hide that silver and gold, it was found out. Achan, he tried to hide the Babylonian garment, it was found out. Here we know that, that everything that is spoken, God will hear. Elijah is hearing from God, and he has a word of knowledge that is given to him about the situation. But know this, you cannot hide from God. You can't hide your heart. You can't hide your thoughts, your actions, what it is that you're doing. Everything is open and naked before the Lord. You can hide it from family members. You can hide it from friends, other brothers and sisters, whatever it might be. But you cannot hide from the Lord in your activities and in your thoughts, intents of the heart, whatever it might be. Everything is open and naked before the Lord, and he sees. And so it's at Elijah. He, he knows what's going on, and he speaks it to the king of Israel. So verse 13, it was the king of Syria that said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. And it was told to him, saying, Surely he is in Dothan. And therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. Hey, he's in Dothan there. So there's this great army that it tells us here in verse 14 that surrounds the city. So here is Elijah. He gets a new servant. They wake up in the morning. The servant goes out to get the paper. And he looks up, and all of a sudden there's this great army of the Syrians all around, horses and chariots, and he comes in, and he's afraid, and he says, Elisha, what is it that we're going to do? And Elisha says, you don't have to be afraid. And if you underline verses, I think that verse 16 is a good one. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Lord, open up his spiritual eyes that he may see. And his eyes were opened up, and all of a sudden there were these heavenly horses and chariots of fire that were all around the Syrian army. Elijah is saying to him that those who are for us are more than those who are with them. I think that this is a good word for us tonight because I know that some of you, if not a lot of you, 
that perhaps you come to this place tonight, maybe you're disappointed by the election last night, the direction of our country, and it concerns us, you know, as we continue to see that, that we become a nation that continues in our sinful ways. We continue to, to, um, to see that millions and millions of babies that are being killed, unborn children, abortion on demand. We know that we see that um, there is a push for more same-sex marriage, that we're going to see that that's going to continue on. Uh, there is a uh, coming against anyone who stands for, you know, biblical marriage between a man and a woman. We see that God is being pushed out of our institutions, and, and there's all kinds of things, fiscal uh, irresponsibility as our debt continues to grow. Do you realize that it's over $16 trillion that right now every man, woman, and child in this country has to pay back over $53,000 to pay back that debt? And that's going to continue to grow. We see that the stock market crashed, you know, today, and it was down tremendously because of the fiscal cliff that, that if things aren't done here between now and the end of the year, that the taxes for everyone is going to go up, and so there's debate, there's gridlock, there's all these things. And, and we think, man, our country, not only is it, you know, financially, uh, is it, you know, uh, a concern, but spiritually and morally, it's like our country is going to pot. And Colorado is literally going to pot as <laughs> we pass that amendment. And I think that bothered me more than just about you know, a lot of things. And, and I think, okay, so now we're legalizing drugs and saying it's great. And I am concerned. And I know that you're concerned as well as we look at these things. We can go on and on and talk about it. But here's the thing. May the Lord open up our spiritual eyes. And we are to be in that place that we are to be praying and we are to be on our faces before God and that's what the command of Scripture is told to us. To be praying for our leaders, we are to be praying for another great awakening because that's the only hope for our nation is that there is a great awakening in a turning to Jesus Christ and a surrender to Jesus Christ and to turn from our sin and, and, and for there to be healing in our land. And that's what I hope that we would focus on and know this, that you belong to the kingdom of God and the Lord's going to come back. And Romans tells us very clearly that he sets those in authority who he ordains to be in authority and it's all for his purposes. We may not understand it all. We certainly may not agree with it. But here's the thing. It's all for the purposes of the Lord and for his kingdom to come. And I believe what we're seeing is that we are seeing more of the birth pangs as we're seeing upheaval. There's going to be a perplexing of the nations, that is, a shaking of the nations. There's going to be all these things that are going to be taking place which point to the soon return of Jesus Christ. So we need to be praying, we need to be light, and we need to be a witness, and we need to know that our weapons of warfare are this, are truth and love. And we need to be praying for our community and keeping in perspective, folks, the Lord is still on the throne and he's coming back and he's going to set everything right. And when he comes back, then righteousness will cover the earth as waters cover the sea. All right. So let's open up our spiritual eyes because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And as Elijah says here is greater are those who are with us more than those who are with them. The Lord is working and we need to be praying 
and we need to be witnessing, and we need to be about the work of the kingdom, and we need to continue on doing those things, growing in the love of Jesus Christ and in the scriptures, and giving that truth to others. So may we continue to do that. So that's my prayer, is that our spiritual eyes would continue to be just opened up. And that's what happens here. And so the Syrians, in verse 18, came down to him, and Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people, I pray, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness, according to the word of Elijah. Know this, that in verse 18 here, that there's blindness that came, and we need to understand what the scripture says. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, said that the natural man doesn't understand the things of the Spirit. In other words, that the unbelievers, they don't understand the things of truth. They don't understand the things of, of, of God. They, they don't have that understanding. And also, Paul would write that there is a blindness, that Satan, the God of this age, has blinded them. There's a blindness that takes place to unbelievers. So when I pray for friends that I know and neighbors and, and people that I know that aren't saved, my prayer is, Lord, that you would soften their hearts and, Lord, that you would take the blindness away from them. Lift that blindness from them that they may see spiritually and come to receive the, the good news of the gospel. And that's what that I hope pray that, that helps you as you pray for others. There's a blindness. They don't see. They don't understand. And, and the world is against the things of God. And, and we understand that, and we certainly see that, and we are to be, again, one that are praying for and having a heart for the unbelievers, praying for them, Lord, take the blindness away. But Elijah said to them, This is not the way, nor this is the city. Follow me, in verse 19, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria. Remember that Samaria is the capital of those ten northern tribes, the house of Israel. In verse 20, so it was when they had come to Samaria that Elijah said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and they were inside Samaria. Now when the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elijah, My father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? But he answered, You shall not kill them. Would you kill those who you have taken captive with your sword and your bow? set food and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. And then he prepared a great feast for them, and after they ate, they drank, and he sent them away, and they went to their master. So the bands of Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. So Elijah, they're struck with, with blindness. He brings them to Samaria. The blindness is lifted. They, they open their eyes. They're in Samaria. The king of Israel is saying, should I do away with them? Should I kill them? And Elisha says, no, I want you to feed them. I want you to feed them. That's what I want you to do. You know, sometimes we get so frustrated with people that it's like, you know, we want to take our sword and we want to just, you know, go after them. We, we want to come against them. We fight against them. But I want to suggest something to you as you stand for righteousness. And we are to stand for righteousness. And it is a battle out there. Don't misunderstand me. But will you feed them with the bread of life and with living water? Will you consider that as you are out there doing battle with others and as they are blinded, the Lord, what I want to do is I want to feed them. I want to feed them and give them the bread of life and I want to give them living water. That's what they need. I want to be a witness to them with the words that I speak and the way that I live my life. You know, one of the things as I, as I was reading this, it reminds me of, of what we've studied in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 12, 
as we start in verse 17. I'll read it to you. But repay no evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. And if possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. And do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In other words, you feed them. Feed them living bread, living water, the bread of life. And make sure that you're not overcome by evil. Don't be compromising. Don't be involved in the things of the world. Don't be enamored with the things of the world. But you're going to overcome evil with good. That's what we are to do. And that's what we're told to do. Stand for truth. But give people the bread of life, all right? And be praying for people. May we continue to have a heart for the lost. One of the things that we've seen with Elijah is that he had compassion. He had compassion. Remember the Shumite woman? They came to him because his, her son was dead. And he went, and, and he went mouth to mouth. He went eye to eye. He went hand to hand. And life came into that boy that was dead. And I just want to remind you again at this time in our study, the way that you're going to be effective in bringing life into people who are spiritually dead is you go eye to eye. May they see that you live for Jesus Christ, there's something different about you. You go mouth to mouth, you make sure that you're speaking truth to them and that you're giving the love of Jesus Christ to them. You go hand to hand. That is a hand of compassion reached out to them. We need to have a compassion for the lost and for this world because folks know this. We come in here and maybe we're concerned. This is the worst it gets for us and however worse it's going to get. And then we have heaven. This is the best that it gets for the unbeliever. And it's not very good, is it? It's not very good. So may we have compassion on those. As Jesus looked at the multitude and had compassion on them, as Matthew's gospel tells us, as they were sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion. Gehazi, the one that was greedy, he didn't have compassion, did he? What did he do there in 2 Kings chapter 4? He pushed that woman away. And it was Elijah that said, leave her alone. She's hurting. There's something that is wrong. And there are people that all around us that are hurting. They're empty, and, and they're hurting, and they're wondering, and, and they're confused. And we're able to show compassion and give them truth. So here is this story that is told to us. And their eyes are opened up, and they fed. And then in verse 24, and it happened after that, that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria. So Ben-Hadad, this is Ben-Hadad II. And he surrounds the city. And when they sieged the city, they didn't let any food in. They didn't let any water in. And it was real important that, you know, when you built the city, you had your water source inside and that you stored up food. But the siege, sieges against cities would last for days and weeks and sometimes months, sometimes even years, for a couple years. Do you realize that when the Romans came against uh, Jerusalem, that the siege went on for months and months and months to where the people in Jerusalem, there in 66 to 70 AD was the rebellion against the Romans, and for months the Romans surrounded Jerusalem and starved the people out. They wouldn't allow food into it. They had water, 
but they didn't have any food. And here's Samaria is sieged by the Syrians, and, um, and they're starting to, to starve. As verse 25, there was a great famine in Samaria, and indeed they besieged it until donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and one-fourth of the cab of dove droppings for five shekels of silver. That's pretty bad. They're eating donkey heads and paying high prices for it and dove droppings. And as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, verse 26, a woman cried out to him saying, Help my lord, O king. And he said, If the lord does not help you, where can I find help for you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? And then the king said to her, What is troubling you? And she answered, This woman said to me, Give your son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him, and I said to her in the next day, Give your son that we may eat him. But she had hidden her son. And now it happened when the king heard the words of the woman, that he tore his clothes and he passed by on the wall. The people looked, and there underneath he had sackcloth on his body. So things are pretty bad, aren't they, to where people are converting to cannibalism. It tells not only of how bad things were physically, but the condition of the nation spiritually as well. That they were given over to eating their own children. And the king sees this, and he tears his clothes. And here he, he sees the problem, and what does he do? Remember that all the kings of Israel are wicked kings. And then he said, God do so to me, and more so also if the head of Elijah and the son of Saphat remains on him today. So what does he do? He blames Elijah. Elijah has been bringing truth and righteousness and showing the power and the presence of God in a mighty way in the sons of the prophet. And hear this unbeliever that because of the spiritual condition of the rebellion against God, that God allows this siege that takes place, and he blames it on Elijah. Know this, that as we see our nation tanking morally and spiritually, guess who's going to get blamed? It's going to be the Christians. Oh, the Christians this, and the Christians in their self-righteousness. Don't be surprised that that happens. And when we see that conditions get worse and worse spiritually, and however else it gets worse, that the attention, I believe, will be turned on the Christians. Well, the Christians, they just, you know, this and that. And it's just something uncanny about it. So here Elijah, that he's being blamed, but Elijah, verse 32, was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. And the king sent a man ahead of him, but before the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, Do you see how this son of a murderer has sent someone to take away my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold him fast at the door. Is not the sound of the master's feet behind him? And while he was still talking with them, there was the messenger coming down to him. And then the king said, Surely this calamity is from the Lord. Why should I wait from the Lord any longer? So even the king recognizes as he blames God. There are people that we know, people that we talk to, that they will blame God for the repercussions and the consequences that they are experiencing. But it's because of their disobedience and their rebellion against God. It's amazing how people will say, well, God has done this. This is what he's saying. God has brought this. God wanted repentance. He wanted to bless the nation. 
And when we talk to somebody who says, well, I'm experiencing, you know, this and trouble and difficulties, that we are to bring correction, we are to tell them it's because of your disobedience, because of your rebellion against God. You need to turn to God. He loves you. He doesn't want you to sin. He doesn't want you to live in this lifestyle. He wants to bring blessing and to free you. He doesn't want you to be in bondage. He doesn't want you to be sieged by the enemy. He wants you to be free. And that's the message that we're to give to others. But it's amazing how people experience when they rebel against God the repercussions and the consequences that are so devastating to them that they'll begin to blame God and blame God's people. So Elijah here, as you move into chapter 7, he's going to give a word, and this is going to lead into an amazing story of chapter 7 that I was hoping to get to tonight, but we'll pick it up next week. So Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for this word, especially as we find ourselves. Lord, after the elections, after all of this, that we can come and rejoice tonight because we belong to you. And greater are, are those that are with us than them that are out in the world. That is, Lord, you're with us. And greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, the enemy. So we don't have to be afraid. But to love you and to know that love cast out, perfect love cast out all fear. Your love being perfected in us, Lord. Knowing that we belong to you that we are washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, we are cleansed. And Father, what my prayer is tonight, that if there is anyone that is here tonight, as we prepare ourselves to come to the communion table to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. First of all, I pray if there's anyone here or out in the overflow, the coffee shop, that you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, that he is your salvation. That Jesus Christ is the only one who died for your sins and rose from the grave because he is the Lord. He's the king of all kings. He's the creator of the universe and he created you. And he also provided forgiveness. We've all been struck with leprosy. That is sin. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But Jesus Christ came to wash you clean by his blood. He provided that as he died on the cross and he cried out, is this finished? I've done the work. I've paid the price. Salvation is a free gift. It comes as you humble yourself and you repent. Quit going the direction you're going and turn to Jesus. And if that means anything to anyone tonight, will you pray in your heart? Because today is the day of salvation. The Lord wants to forgive you and come into your heart and make you a new creation. To bring you into right relationship with the Father. To give you the hope of heaven. It all comes by a heart surrender to Jesus and recognizing who He is, the Son of God. That He died for you on Calvary's cross and He rose again. He's alive. Perhaps he's knocking on the door of your heart if you haven't given your heart to him. He wants to take the blindness away. Will you open your heart to him? Will you just see enough to know that you need Jesus for salvation and forgiveness? And you pray in your heart right where you're sitting, Jesus, come into my heart. 
be my personal Lord and Savior. I turn to you now because I confess that I am a sinner. And I come to you now and I ask you to come into my heart. Thank you for dying for me. I believe that you died for my sins. You rose again. So forgive me. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you for hearing my prayer and help me to live for you all the days of my life. 